0: Good afternoon, everybody. Well done for getting down here. <laughs> it's a bit of a trek. I, uh, I got lost on the way, and I used to live in Norwich, so that was a bit of a worry. Anyway, I'd like to introduce uh, myself first. I'm supposed to, apparently. Um, I'm, my name is Julia Miller. Um, I'm a relational mission, one of the Relational Mission trustees, and I am also lead Pathways from Poverty, which is... Um, fits under the works bit of Words, Works and Wonders. Um, and my role is to try and help to support, encourage and network local churches within RM to, uh, to each other in their engagement in the community. Um, and I'm hosting the two seminars that really fit under the works thing uh, the, today and tomorrow. And today, obviously, we have Phil and Kirsty from Home for Good and they fit under the works part of it um, because it's about the church engaging in the community and having an impact on people's lives and you can't get much more of a a transformation of an impact than uh, than to be able to support uh, a young person and and bring them into your home and to have that level of impact in in somebody's life is quite awesome. Mike Betts um, is Exceptionally keen to see us as the RM family of churches engaging um, very positively with Home for Good and fostering and adoption. Um, and so I'm absolutely delighted to welcome them here today. We're going to have a bit of an uh, opportunities for interaction with each other and then throughout it, and then there'll be some question time at the end. So if you've got questions, you can use the uh, time's in, in the middle of it or, or hold on to them at the end but there will be opportunity to do that so I'm going to hand over now to Phil.
1: Great thank you very much it's uh, really good to have the opportunity to be uh, with you here this afternoon so uh, thank you for choosing uh, this seminar um, and yeah we've, at Home for Good we've been delighted um, by the support we have uh, received from Mike and, and RM Churches so it's really good to be here. Um, first of all, it would be great just to find out a little bit about kind of who's in the room and a little bit about why you've chosen this seminar. So um, this is always a risky thing to do. I did this at another gathering of church leaders a few months ago and went around a room of 20 people to find out why they're in the room and 50% of them said, because my first choice seminar was full. <laughs> So way to make me feel good about myself (laughs) and feel positive for the rest of the seminar. So I'm hoping we don't have a situation like that today. Um, But first of all, it would be great just to find out how many of you are actively involved in fostering or adoption uh, yourself as a foster carer or an adoptive parent? Great. Thank you. Um, And I really hope that you can feel free to contribute. Um, throughout uh, this afternoon because kind of your insights will be really important uh, as we discuss together how the church can best um, engage with this kind of space. Would a few people uh, mind just kind of shouting out kind of why are you here this afternoon? Like what's your expectations for this seminar? Um, when you leave here in just under an hour and a half what do you have hoped to have gained? great excellent thank you Excellent. Thank you. Yeah, we'll definitely uh, be talking about that uh, later on. Anyone? Yes.
0: Um, we had somebody that, that was fostering in our church um, when we were going through a bit of a, an up-and-downy patch as a church ourselves. She hadn't fostered before and, and she went through a really, really difficult time and I think partly was that we didn't know as a church how to support her and she didn't know what she needed. So it would just be great to hear how you, from experience, how better churches can support people who are fostering or adopting.
1: Great, thank you. Uh, yes, at the back. Um, I'd quite like to hear a little bit about um, relationships with social services and why they'd
2: like to do that as well. Okay.
3: Excellent,
1: thank you, that's really helpful. Anyone else? Well, so we'll uh, broadly uh, divide the next um, hour or so into three parts. Uh, Firstly, we'll uh, begin to look at um, the kind of theology behind what we're doing and why we believe this is so important, just to give us kind of some strong foundations. Um, Then we will talk a little bit about what we think the church can do in terms of finding homes for children who desperately need them. And then we'll spend some time uh, thinking about how churches can best support families that foster and adopt. So hopefully this will give you kind of a flavour. Clearly we could be spending a whole day at least on each of those topics but hopefully it will kind of whet your appetite and be the foundation for lots of other conversations that we can have um, ongoing uh, between Home for Good and your churches and also within the Relational Mission family of churches um, as well. And at the end uh, there will be uh, opportunities to ask questions and if you want to ask Kirsty and I anything kind of on a one-to-one basis uh, we're not going to be rushing away afterwards so feel free to talk to us afterwards. Um, if you would prefer not to voice your question um, in front of everyone, because you realise that some of the stuff we're gonna be talking about today um, is quite personal. Um, So we don't want anyone to feel uncomfortable. So there's a problem uh, in the UK. Um, Currently, there are about 4,000 children waiting to be adopted. Um, And the children waiting to be adopted, they're not babies. Uh, The ones that are waiting there, they're over the age of four. Um, They're from black minority ethnic backgrounds, Uh, they're part of a sibling group, um, but social workers are desperate to keep those siblings together uh, more often than not, Um, and they have a huge range of additional needs, Um, whereas most people coming forward uh, for adoption are doing so uh, often because of infertility issues um, or single people and they're desperate for a baby. So there's kind of a real mismatch and so there's four thousand children at the moment waiting to be adopted in the UK. Alongside that there's currently nine, a shortfall of nine thousand foster carers in the UK so this year the fostering network estimate that nine thousand foster carers need to be found and that's a big number in itself but it is a problem that's only going to get worse in the years to come because the vast majority of foster carers um, are over the age of 55 and they will be retiring in the next five to ten years Um, So actually that number could increase dramatically in the next 10 years if we don't rapidly uh, turn the tide. A few years ago uh, in 2011 uh, these statistics were really hitting the media in a big way and a group of Christian leaders uh, were at Spring Harvest um, after one of the evening meetings um, just chatting to one another and during the conversation it it transpired that everyone around this table was a foster carer or an adopter. And they kind of began to do some maths. Um, And back then there were 6,000 children waiting to be adopted and 9,000 foster carers needed. And they kind of figured out, but actually between them, they were probably in contact with about 15,000 churches. So they're like, hang on a minute. The church could solve this problem. If just one family from each church stepped up to foster and adopt, we would wipe out the, 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 the waiting list there would not be a crisis in the care system, but also recognising that clearly fostering and adoption is not for everyone. But isn't the church an amazing community of support to support families that do foster and adopt? Imagine how that could transform society if one family in each of those churches chose to foster and adopt, and the wider church family wrapped around to support them. Wouldn't that be amazing? And out of that, Home for Good was born. Back in 2012, uh, we spent the year um, speaking to Christian foster carers and adopters, and church leaders and social workers, and figuring out um, what was needed. We launched in uh, uh, 2013, and were just blown away with the response. Um, I've been working on Christian projects for the last 10 years, and most of them on a national kind of level, and most of the projects don't go anywhere. Because it, it's really hard to get the church in the UK to engage with a project because there's so many charities doing so many different things. But this seemed to resonate with the church and kind of we were pleased it did really because hey, this is so biblical and Kirsty will be talking about that a little bit later. But the other staggering thing which we really were not expecting was within the first three months of launching 50 local authorities, adoption agencies and fostering agencies contacted us saying we've been trying to connect with churches for years but they never respond to our emails (laughs) and you're saying you can bridge the gap between the church and us and we're like yes we can and and suddenly enabled home for good to kind of grow rapidly so we'll talk later on a little bit about kind of what we do but I'm going to hand over to Kirsten now just to kind of I'm not going to hand over to Kirsten yet I'm going to show you a video which kind of introduces um, just um, one angle of why it's such a serious problem that there are so many children growing up without a stable home and then Kirsty will talk a little bit more about the theological foundations of what we're doing.
4: So I think that um, that video just highlights for us a little bit how much of a justice issue this is for the church, um, and particularly when you think about some of the ministries that our churches are involved in um, and doing incredible um, interventions, if you like, in our local communities, helping um, serve homeless people, or um, going into prisons and running ministries in prisons or with ex-offenders, um, or you know, young people coming out of care. All of those things are things that we are involved in on our doorstep, um, and yet actually, when you look at some of those statistics, you realize that this isn't, uh, those things in themselves aren't standalone issues. And perhaps if the church could um, get involved at the beginning um, and welcome some of these children and young people into into our homes and into our families and into the body of Christ, um, maybe we could, you know reduce the need for some of those social action ministries that we are, uh, they're great ministries in and of themselves and they do incredible work so I'm not saying that we don't want to be doing those but could we see the need for those reduced as we start to tackle some of the issues that um, young people and children who become part of the care system through no fault of their own could we, could we see a difference, and could we be part of making that happen? Um, for me, I used to work, um, for six years I was involved in various ministries uh, with prisoners and ex-offenders, and the majority, actually, of the people that I came into contact with um, in our prisons were, were men and women who had experienced the care system as children themselves, and or now have children who are involved with social services whilst their parent or parents are serving sentences. Um, so for me personally, this is all so interconnected and I don't think we can separate out one thing from the other. Um, and when we look at scripture, we see that our God is a God of justice. Um, and he loves it when his people get involved in justice issues Um, and there's that wonderful verse in micah um, where we're asked to do justice Um, and it would just be great to spend a little bit of time thinking about what that actually means what does it mean to do justice Um, and how does that work when we're thinking about working with children and young people Um, So first of all, I'd like to suggest that this is caring for vulnerable children through adoption or fostering and supporting those that do. Um, That's good news for children. That's good news for the vulnerable children of society. Um, The Old Testament and the New Testament are both littered with calls to action where we are asked as God's people, as the church, to care for orphans. Um, And whilst we may not think of children in the foster care or adoption um, in in those situations now as orphans in the technical sense of the word, um, when we think about their vulnerability and position in society, um, we're talking about the same thing. (laughs) Um, So we are called, scripturally we are called, there is a biblical mandate to care for orphans. Um, and adoption and fostering is one of the ways that we can express that Um, and Phil mentioned earlier that often the people who step forward for um, adoption particularly are those who are struggling with infertility issues um, and it's very much a sense of completing your family building the family that you've always dreamed of Um, and that's a right right and good thing in itself Um, but some of the children in the care system, we need to be thinking about what they need and actually responding to that need. So rather than thinking, how do I make my family what I always dreamed it was and what I need it to be, what do these children need? (laughs) What family, what home setting, what love, um, what space for healing do they need? And is that something that in our churches as individual families um, and as the body of Christ, how can we meet those needs? Um, It's also an issue for the church and it's good news for the church. When we look at examples of um, the early church in Acts, um, it's one of my favorite passages where um, there were no needy among them. Um, What does that look like when we think about vulnerable children? It probably looks like them being in safe, stable, secure, loving homes where um, those families are equipped and supported for those children to have what they need to flourish and become everything that God created them to be, rather than struggling through a system where their needs aren't all being met. Um, so by welcoming families that foster and adopt and welcoming children into our homes. We are becoming the church that we were always meant to be. Uh, and again, the early church had ministries that's, and deacons were initially there to meet the practical needs of the community around them. So this is a model that's way older <laughs> than our current UK situation and need for foster carers and adoptive parents. Um, and we came across a video um, that sort of looks at why this is a church issue or why justice in this way is a church issue. So I just wanted to share that with you now. Um.
5: A lot of people see justice as the most beautiful thing you can do in your life. Give your life and you see the money pile up. Be a health nut, eat right, go to the gym, and your muscles grow, and your body will look good, and you'll see results. But when it comes to justice, it seems like you just can't get ahead. You patch up one hole, and something else rips open. You bring peace to one region, and war breaks out in another. You rebuild after an earthquake, and a I mean, quite frankly, it's ridiculous. And it rarely comes from those who are actually tired from pursuing justice and not just tired of the idea. It rarely comes from people who've labored for years and have good reason to act. And you know what? They never act? Those type of people become friends with those who suffer. Family. Because it's one thing to wonder if someone Bye.
4: we've all been adopted into God's family and that's one of the most amazing truths about our faith and grace, isn't it? Um, And when we start to think about vulnerable children as our own, um, I think it starts to become the outworking of God placing the lonely in families um, and and our expression of us all being adopted into God's family and all being brothers and sisters in Christ and co-heirs with Christ as well. And um, so that inheritance that we we get um, through our faith is an incredible one. Um, and as an aside, we, we um one of the questions that comes up sometimes is actually when you adopt, if you adopt, like how do you feel about Your adoptive children having some of your inheritance, having a portion, a right portion of your inheritance, and it shouldn't even be a question. (laughs) A question, and I don't, as Christians, I don't think it is, um, because we are all one family, and there's that motivation because we are the family of God, um, which actually makes us stand out. Um, And the final area that I think um, this is a justice issue for and good news for, our society. Again, you saw those statistics in that video at the beginning. Um, I shared a little bit about my experience in prison work. Um, And we can't separate them out. Um, And we can start to see social outcomes for vulnerable children change if we are willing to engage with and welcome um, often messy situations, not the perfect squeaky clean family that we sometimes present, Um, if we start to engage with that and welcome that and embrace that and think about what is needed around that so that those individuals and families are able to thrive. we can start to see our communities change um, and the needs in our local communities change. We totally expect, to actually, or we should expect in our church congregations on a Sunday morning to have people who are fostering or who are children who are in, the foster, in foster placements. We should expect to have adopted children. We should expect to have birth families who are walking that difficult path of children In the care system we should expect to have all of that in our church congregations on Sundays Um, and in doing that we start to address some of the things that we're seeing um, and start to see change and transformation in our communities because of the way we're living out our faith Um, so that's a little speedy overview of why it's a justice issue um, and Phil's just going to chat us a bit through how we start to translate that into finding homes.
1: Great. Thanks, Kirsty. I'm a bit nervous in following that. <laughs> We've
4: uh, never done a seminar together before, <laughs> so this
1: is like a few <laughs> um, <coughs> In fact, I'm not going to follow that. I want to get you to talk <laughs> to each other. That's, that's the safest option, isn't it? Um, we're now going to spend some time, as Kirsty said, talking about, okay, so, so what does it look like for the church to step up and find homes? Uh, for children that desperately need them. But first I want us to consider the question, uh, what makes you nervous about that idea? What makes you nervous about asking people within the church to step up and foster and adopt so we've got some foster carers and adopters here. Um, you may well be really nervous about the idea of asking other people to foster and adopt. I'm sure when you were about to enter the process, when, whenever that was, perhaps you had kind of uh, nerves, what were you apprehensive about? But just turn to the person kind of sitting next to you or in groups of threes or four, whatever's easier, and just talk about some of, the, kind of the, the reasons you might be nervous about going back to your churches and encouraging everyone to consider fostering and adoption. Okay, uh, if you uh, would like to draw your uh, conversations to a close and let's just hear um, some of the the themes that may be coming up um, as we think about what makes us nervous about encouraging people to foster and adopt. So would a few people just like to uh, call out uh, one of the things they were discussing uh, in their group? So we'll start off with a kind of group kind of over this way somewhere. We often have this conversation in the office because most charities, when they go around church on the Sundays, the ask is, could you start giving us £20 a month? We go in and say, could you turn your whole life upside down for the rest of forever by welcoming a very challenging child into your house and inviting them to be part of your family? Huge, isn't it? Absolutely huge. Um, Other issues that have uh, kind of been raised, let's come to... yeah.
6: We, it wouldn't have just crossed our minds. Mm. We didn't know what fostering was. Mm. Um, and um, we did go into it with our eyes open. I don't think we had a clue what was with <laughs> <laughs> us. Um, and, um, oh, and she was with us for, for 18 months. And that was a, that was a very precious thing to, to, to do that. Um, and it's just doing all kinds of things in me, what well, this, you know, hearing you talking? But one of the keys about what you said I thought was about getting the whole church to do it. Mm-hmm. That it's in, you know, if we're trying to ask a family on their own in this individualistic way to do it, mm-hmm. that's not going to have a good result. But if you ask a church to take in a child, that's a whole different ballgame. But there's a lot of education needed do that.
3: Great, thank you.
2: Can I add that actually um this did become a church project and we always had data available. We always had people coming around and joining us.
1: That's that's really encouraging to hear. Thank you. Any other reasons for the nervousness bit? We're yeah.
5: from London, so financially finding somewhere that's got enough space for it's a family
3: that's watching. Great. Yep.
1: Yeah. Any other reasons for nervousness over here?
7: Yeah. So
8: we're in London?
1: Yep. Yeah, well, let me show you a really good example, which, which you probably can it's become the focus of your prayer life for the rest of forever, possibly. So we know um, one family that foster, and um, someone else in their church who knew that they could ever foster, but they had a lot of money sitting in the bank account. So they came up with an investment opportunity to buy the uh, family that wanted to foster a bigger house with an extra bedroom. Um, and it's an investment opportunity for them, so they will get their money back when this family stop fostering in years to come. Um, But like, wow, that's amazing, isn't it, for someone who can just kind of buy in. And it's like the whole church getting involved. What can you bring to this? Actually, I can give you the money you need so your house has an extra room. So, um, two of the things that um, uh, we do a lot of is one is raising awareness and the second thing is dispelling myths. Um, And when it comes to raising awareness, we're really passionate about wanting this to be on the church's agenda and talked about on a Sunday morning. And we think that's really, really important because if you do an event or a seminar or whatever about fostering adoption, by and large, you only get people coming who are already doing it or who are already thinking about it. So I'm kind of delighted this afternoon, but it appears that a lot of you have have come and you're not foster carers and adopters. So we really welcome the foster carers and adopters, but it's great that there's so many other people here um, as well. Um, So we want this to be talked about. On Sunday morning. So people who have never thought about this, never even really known what fostering was about, could think, hang on a minute, that could be something I could do. So we want to be kind of planting seeds. So one of the things Home for Good uh, does is uh, we create resources around uh, Mother's Day and Father's Day and we also have Adoption Sunday in November to help church leaders um, creatively talk about um, fostering and adoption and our adoption into God's family and what it means to be a father and what it means to be a mother kind of on these kind of key milestones throughout uh, out the year um, and if you go on our website um, you can see all kinds of videos we've produced in the past I was going to show one of them to you now but I'm not going to because we haven't got time um, but um, Father's Day is in two, two weeks three weeks time um, so if you're if you're looking for creative ideas for your services on Father's Day there is a video on our website that you may like to use the next thing, um, as well as raising awareness then, it is dispelling myths and uh, let me just go through a few of the myths uh, uh, that we are seeking to dispel. The first myth is that adoption is just for those who cannot have birth children and, and as Kirsty has already said, adoption is a fantastic option for those who are struggling with infertility issues and we, we never want to say anything negative about that because it is a genuinely great option But we want the church to think bigger than that. And it's not just actually the church, it's local authorities and social workers. The number of people who speak to us and say, we chose to adopt before having birth children, but the social workers looked at us as if we were completely nuts and told us to go away, have birth children and come back in 10 years time. Um, So we want to kind of change that understanding. We want people to think about um, adopting and fostering as part of their family planning. We want them to think about um, what that looks like and for the church to normalise the idea. We were so encouraged. uh, Back in 2014, after uh, Adoption Sunday, we ran uh, 10 information evenings uh, in the month that followed, attended by 200 people. 100 people, so 50% of the people who came were in their early 20s and they were saying, probably not going to foster or adopt in the next couple of years, but we want to think about this as an option alongside having, uh, or thinking about birth children. We want to think about this as part of our family planning options. And we were just so encouraged by that. And also social workers are so encouraged by that. As we said earlier, local authorities are facing a crisis because of the ageing population of the foster carers. So the fact that there's a rising generation in the church in their 20s who are thinking about that, is music to their ears. The second myth we want to um, dispel is probably best summed up by the, uh, the phrase, an Englishman's home is his castle. and that, that, That's so true for in society and for many of us as well. I, I know that it's often really true for me, that we want our homes to be a place of safety and security and comfort. We want to keep problems out of our home. We build walls, we build moats and fostering or adopting is going to require us to change that mindset. The word hospitality is the same word where we get our word hospital from, friend of strangers. We need to have a different understanding of our homes if we're going to embrace this. Our homes need to go from being castles to hospitals places of welcome to the marginalised, those with difficulties, so that they can find restoration and hope and healing. And this is also true of our churches as well, isn't it? Our churches can often be quite castle-like and more like castles than hospitals. Churches um, in, uh, over the past uh, couple of decades, really, have been fantastic about going out into the community and serving the community, and that's all fantastic, and we should do that kind of thing. But there is a danger that we go out to serve the needy and the poor and those with problems and we don't then invite them back into our church families. And we need to do that. We need to invite the marginalised people with extreme difficulties to come and be part of our church families. What a difference that would make to our churches. It should also contain a health warning. Like... If churches embrace this vision, it is going to change what your church looks like. It is going to change what your Sunday school is like. It is going to change the dynamics of your youth group. But surely that's the kind of churches uh, that we should be creating. Uh, next, um, the nuclear family is all that matters. This is kind of, the idea has come up, hasn't it? About actually, um, isn't it great when the whole church is involved in... Uh, the, the, the care of a child. It's not to say that the nuclear family um, isn't important, but I love the kind of the African phrase: "It takes a village to raise a child." Like, isn't the church a fantastic village in this context? Like, wouldn't it be great if we really do see that in action—that a family adopts or fosters, and the whole church wraps around them to support them and make it possible for them then the other myth uh, that we hear often um, and um, I was really surprised that it didn't come up when we were talking about what makes people nervous about encouraging people to foster and adopt is the whole idea that Christians are discriminated against by social workers the number of people I speak to and when I tell them what my job is they look at me really blankly and say how can you be part of an organisation that encourages Christians to foster and adopt because Christians aren't allowed to foster and adopt anymore we're discriminated against And that's the kind of story that is often uh, uh, communicated. I think it's probably best illustrated by a situation I found myself in um, a few years ago at the beginning of Home for Good. I was doing a uh, seminar for a a group of church leaders and one church leader came up to me after and said, absolutely love the sound of Home for Good, love the vision, but as a church we're never going to be able to support it because there was a couple in our church who were foster carers but they were told they could no longer foster because they were Christians. So it wouldn't be appropriate for us to support it as a church. Um, and it turned out that uh, this church um, these foster carers um, were fostering or had been fostering for a local authority that Home for Good was working with so we knew they wanted to recruit foster carers from the Christian community so we thought this was a little bit odd so I I got permission from everyone involved to investigate further so the local authority went away and investigated it and it turned out that they had uh, been told they could no longer foster over 10 years ago and the local authority admitted that back then faith was frowned upon and it was very different now. But for the church leader it was, and the way that the story was communicated to me, it was like it happened last month. And I think our churches are, great. churches are often great at holding on to bad news stories for a long time and it's the bad news stories that get communicated the loudest. So it is sometimes sadly true that Christians can be discriminated against In the uh, assessment process but they are few and far between those cases but it's often those that get communicated the loudest. Home for Good and we do faith literacy training for social workers to try and kind of increase the understanding of faith of social workers um, to hopefully reassure Christians that when they go into the process their social workers will understand faith better Um, but we really kind of need to dispel this myth we did some research recently of about 200 uh, Christian adoptive parents. Uh, 60% of them uh, said that their faith was seen as a real positive during the assessment process. 35% said that their faith was seen as neither a positive or negative but was completely respected. Only 5% said that their faith had caused any degree of negativity or concern during the assessment process at all. Now 5%, it's, it's still too high. But when we go around speaking about fostering and adoption, I think 75% of the people who come up and speak to us afterwards who are thinking about adopting or fostering are re- really concerned about their faith. So we really do need to begin to kind of dispel uh, this uh, narrative. I'm going to invite Kirsty back now um, because it's home for good. We're, we're really here to help people and support people on their journey. So we don't want to just encourage people to foster and adopt. We don't want to just encourage churches to raise the profile. We as an organisation want to be making sure we are making um, it uh, easier and supporting people as they journey from thinking about it through to doing it. So Kirsty will give you a kind of a whistle stop tour of some of the things we do.
4: Yeah super whistle stop um, because the stories are what excite me. Um, So we have an inquiry line um, that People who are thinking about fostering or adoption phone in, and it's a chance for us to talk through some of those nervousness um, that people might carry or some past experiences, and to think through what the assessment process might be. And look like for them. Um, Phil's also mentioned that 20s and 30s group. um, So we've actually got um, and are developing resources um, so that people who are thinking about fostering or adoption in the future, but not yet, we can start to help them prepare for when they do get to the stage of starting the assessment process. Um, We've got a network of champions up and down the country who are volunteers who are passionate about fostering and adoption, and they, we can connect them with people who phone up our inquiry line or who want to find out more. So our champions are on the ground having coffee with people who are thinking about fostering or adoption or sharing experiences. They're also the ones who can get alongside people who are you know, in the midst of a really challenging foster placement and just need somebody to go, how do I, how do, I do this next stage with? Um, Phil's mentioned that we run faith literacy training for social workers. Um, So we've got a number of different um, voluntary adoption agencies and local authorities that we work with um, where we are working with social workers and their understanding of the Christian faith and how Christians communicate some of their faith beliefs can sometimes be a bit limited. So just like we've talked about some of the myths and things with you today, we do that with them um, and start to get them to think through um, some of the things that they think Christians believe that actually we know within our churches there can be a huge diversity of understanding or stances on on certain issues. Um, We've got local movements um, who are often groups of Churches together in one area, and champions who are coming together to impact their town, their community. Um, and again, that's a ch- we love the national picture and this big picture and the big numbers of you know needing 9,000 more foster carers. But when you see the local need in your county, and you go, actually, this is what the county needs um, in order to meet the needs of vulnerable children a local group of churches coming together to meet that need is really effective because it's suddenly it's more tangible isn't it when it's on your doorstep rather than this big big picture um, which is probably a really good point to have back to you. Amazingly
1: so talking about uh, local areas needing uh, more foster carers and and adoptive parents a few years ago uh, church leaders in Southampton uh, found out that the city needed 80 new foster carers. Um, and the churches prayed about this because they really wanted to, to help the city council um, and they went back to the city council and said, you know what, over the next year we pledge to find you 40 foster carers um, and the city council laughed at them and kind of said, do you not know how hard it is to find foster carers Like, what do you think our recruitment team do all day <laughs> well, to be honest, if you can find us four this year we'll be absolutely delighted so we'll give you some money to put on some events and produce some resources and um, Off you go. And uh, one of the church leaders in Southampton, he was in care as a child. And he can remember that the most, uh, uh, the time he felt that he belonged for the first time was when he was given a front door key to the house he was living in. So he made a plaque with 40 front door keys with the Bible verse, God places the lonely in families. And at a civic reception with the mayor and church leaders and the leaders of children's services, the churches of Southampton presented this plaque To the council and it's now in the kind of the Director of Children's Services office. That year in Southampton uh, more than 70 people stepped forward to foster. By the end of the year uh, 13 um, had been approved as foster carers and many more were kind of still in the process and the council were like, wow this is amazing. And you know what we learned from this story? Churches are competitive. <laughs> so, so churches in Liverpool heard that this had happened and thought, hmm, we could probably find 50. And <laughs> Reading thought the same. And gradually, throughout the UK, we've got groups of churches coming together to work with their local authority to find foster carers. And it's about both finding the foster carers and also providing the support. Because local authorities are really beginning to see that. It's quite interesting, the journey we go on with lots of uh, local authorities. They begin by approaching us and the church because they're desperate. They're really desperate to find foster carers. And they're like, you know what, we'll put up with your faith because we're desperate. But actually it's not long before they suddenly begin to realise, hang on a minute, when that potential foster carer drew their map of potential support, that was like nothing we've ever seen before. Wow, but the church is fantastic, isn't it? So what a great witness for social workers to see the church in action. And we want the church to be leading the way in this. We want the church to be known as uh, the solution to the crisis in the care system I'm in the UK. So back in uh, September, when we uh, uh, the Syrian refugee crisis uh, was really kind of... Hitting the headlines like it hadn't done before, uh, when David Cameron was talking about welcoming 20,000 refugees, including uh, vulnerable children and orphans, into the UK, it got us thinking that well, actually, if he's talking about inviting orphans into the UK, that's going to involve foster carers, and our foster care system is already at breaking point. So we need to find some more foster carers, don't we? So, so we decided um, that, that we weren't really kind of carry on serving and kind of blessing uh, uh, the government. Uh, So we're like, we need to find some foster carers. So we decided to set up kind of this uh, web form and uh, we put on social media, if you're interested about finding out more about um, fostering an unaccompanied minor, uh, sign up here. We expected that a few hundred people would sign up and that would give us real leverage to go to some uh, uh, councils and say, look, look, we've got people interested in fostering. Uh, Can we help you? Uh, Over the next 10 days, 10,000 people expressed an interest in fostering an unaccompanied minor. Suddenly, Home for Good, this tiny little charity, was in meetings with politicians and were frequently at the Home Office and the Department for Education and with Difford. And, um, and we were sitting there alongside kind of massive organisations like Save the Children. And uh, a few weeks ago, Kirsty uh, actually was a stand-in because Lord Dubbs pulled out of an event um, and the Liberal Democrats thought, so who should we invite instead of Lord Doug? Let's have Kirsty. So there was Kirsty speaking alongside Tim Farron and Save the Children. And, 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 I, and I say all that not to big up Kirsty or Home for Good, but what an opportunity for the church. The church is now round those tables providing solutions for vulnerable children throughout Europe. Like, what an exciting opportunity. And there's a long way to go like um, there may be some major announcements in the next few weeks, which will be really exciting, um, but there's, uh, the system is pretty broken and we need to repair the system before we can really uh, move forward. But isn't it an exciting opportunity for the church to be as part of those conversations? So we're now going to spend a uh, few minutes uh, thinking about what can churches do to support families uh, that foster and adopt Um, So I'm going to hand over to Kirsty, who's going to kick us off with an initial question.
4: Um, So it would be great if you could turn to the people next to you, um, and perhaps two, I might do two questions in one. Um, Firstly, what challenges do you think young people and children who have been adopted or are in foster care might bring into our church settings um, both in terms of services and in terms of sort of community life of a church what are some of the challenges that you might be presented with Um, and secondly um, are there any examples of how you know you've seen the church do this really well um, or can you think of any ways that the church could embrace families that foster and adopt and support those children really well. You've got two minutes, go. (laughs)
8: Okay, how are we doing?
4: Do you want to come back together? Great. What were some of the challenges that you thought might come up in church life um, as a result of welcoming vulnerable children into our congregations? Shall we start this side this time because that side is very cool. Yes, go for it. Yes. Yeah, so, can you hear? Can you hear at the back? Just wave if you can't at any point. <laughs> and so that was about welcoming um, children with different religious backgrounds um, and how that's managed. Um, any other challenges from this side that you came up with?
8: No.
4: support. Brilliant. Anything from this side? The behavioural issues yes. so connections and relationships with birth family for any children that you're welcoming. Yes, anything else? I mean it's just, it's just to,
3: the point to the of that that upskilling
4: So we've actually, one of the churches that we've um, worked with over the years um, has actually scrapped Sunday school as a result <laughs> of having so many foster children um, in their congregation. Sending the kids out, um, so not having them as part of the whole church, um, sent the wrong message um, and wasn't a helpful structure for the children to learn anything. So of have totally rehauled how they do children's church on a Sunday morning as a result of having foster children in their, in their congregation um, which is quite dramatic <laughs> when you think about how so many of our services run but maybe that's what we're called to do in some settings
1: well, I'll offer the counter story for that just so you don't all panic that we're asking <laughs> you to close your church Sunday school so um, there was a, uh, there's a church uh, we're connected with in Bolton and um, a couple from the local community not churchgoers um, adopted two children and they read in their, these children's life story that they used to go to church in their past. So like, well, we want to help the children settle into our family so we'll start going to church. Wow, wow. <laughs> and after a few weeks uh, the couple were like, you know what, the church Sunday school is the only place outside our home where these children feel normal and they like they fit in. That couple both became Christians, both got baptised, whole family now really committed to the church.
4: Did anyone else have um, examples or stories of where your churches or people you know are in churches that are doing things really well to support families in this situation?
2: Yeah.
5: And um, one of the well, couple of men in that church um, often take the, the little boy out for like trips and kind of invest in him and love him and just play with him and do just like we um, stuff every once in a while. And it's just really good because I like, just see that relationship.
2: Mm. He has such a good relationship with male role models in his life.
7: Well, we made a big thing at the church there of some church. So I remember the church we get away and we kind of um, got her up um, and you know, we all prayed for them and um, we spoke to the church about it the context of needing to sort of family and bring them up um, as, as our own as a church to take ownership. So from the front and we prayed for them and the the kind of godfathers, the guys Godfather, in the, the church, and sort of recognizing new guys and those you who know, are going to help. And I've been a male figure, but actually it's all of us who do it as well. So we pray for them. It's set Brilliant. It is. Yelly, yeah, yeah, <laughs>
4: <laughs> Any other stories that you wanna share? Um, so for 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 me, I I like practical things. <laughs> I like I wanna know what to do practically to help somebody. Um and you know, we're so I'm at the age where everyone I know is having babies and we're so good at throwing baby showers or um, doing a a food rota for people when they just had a baby so they don't have to think about getting the groceries in Um, and we know church is doing all those things for adoptive people who are bringing their adoptive child home for the first time and not might not be baby showers it might be eight-year-old boy clothes (laughs) baby showers or, um, you know, equipping the, a foster carer who's suddenly taking an emergency placement and doesn't have anything that's age-appropriate for that child, the church coming round and going, here, you know, I've got all this stuff in my house that you can borrow, have on permanent loan for as long as you need. Um, there are... There's one... Ch- is, it, is it Bolton as well that does the ironing? Uh, Worcester. Worcester. Um, there's a group of people who do ironing every week for foster carers. So the foster carers just take take all that week's ironing and they go and sit and have coffee with each other and the kids play and somebody else does their ironing for them. Um, there's people who are doing DIY projects to help um, people get their homes ready to welcome a foster child or an adoptive child into um, their homes. So there's loads of really practical ways that as the church body we can be involved um, in welcoming children in. Can I add a mm. story? Uh, the, I think the most
2: important
0: uh, yeah. be, yeah. yeah. mm-hmm.
9: we've been fostering for a very long time, 25 years now. And the one thing I think which uh, is so important for church, you can be for the children, every child who came in, is, uh, how do you call it, Uh, uh, unconditional unconditional love. And the safety, the environment where they can trust people, whether you chat with a a child, whether you just uh, welcome it as a member of the family which you come to. And Reece, uh, I think about a year ago, we had a child um, who has been living with us for nine years from six till 15, and she really wanted to go back to her mum, which was very painful, the situation, because we had raised her for nine years, and then she went on her fifteenth to go to live with her mum. still kept contact with her, she's now 20, and uh, I think about a year ago, we, I brought her back to the station, and she said, did I have to say thank you? So I think, Thank you. you all the disruption she brought into the house. and <laughs> I said, well, no, we welcomed you and we, give, we gave you the love uh, because we, you needed that place. And we know God gave us the love for you, so you don't have to thank us. But I said, how did you feel over the years you lived with us? And there was one sentence and it really made me cry. I always felt safe. And it's not only our family where she felt safe. It's also the bigger family, the church family, which gives those children the, the, the safety. And another girl who has been only three months with us, only three months when she was five years old, and we lost contact. You don't keep contact with all the children. And we moved in, the, in between time. And then one day she phoned and she said, I've been looking for you for years, yes. only three months. And then she came to visit us and said, I want to go to church as well, because I remember the feeling of being accepted. And she, and she came into our home, we moved. She said, I can still smell the same when I came in. So only three months of giving a place to a child, been looking for us and wanting to go to church. As a child of four, three months going to church, that was she, what she remembered. So it's so important. We have the bigger family. Just being there.
0: Just about the, respite as well the what? You, the respite, the support that you get to have some time off. Yes,
9: my lovely friends are here. All those years when we wanted to have a weekend away because it was—it's hard work. It's not easy. It's hard work, but it's so fantastic. But you need space sometimes to to be able to go away. So we could always bring the children with whatever disabilities or special treatment or whatever, we could always bring them to a safe place, a family from the church. And that's very precious. And you need that to uh, keep going. 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 (laughs) (laughs) Thank you.
3: Thank you. Thank you.
1: (laughs) One of the things um, we hear quite a lot from uh, uh, Christians who adopt and foster is that they can feel quite marginalised and isolated uh, within their church communities. And, and most of them will say that this isn't a malicious thing that the church is doing. It kind of just happens naturally, because their churches don't really know what to do with them, because they're, they're different. Um, and we kind of had a, had a great story um, um, of a church who had realised that this is what they had been doing. So, an Adoption Sunday, I think this must have been 2013, they decided on that Sunday morning that they would give all the foster carers in their church, and there were several, um, the red carpet treatment. And they spoke to them in advance to make sure everything was done appropriately. But on that Sunday, they interviewed them, they gave them cake and flowers, and just recognised that what they do is difficult, and, but really important. And they said, we want to say sorry for not supporting you in the past, and from now on, we want to support you better. But as they were planning all of this, they're like, well, why are we just doing this for the foster carers in our church? So they got the council to invite foster carers from the whole community <laughs> to church that Sunday morning. Like, just a kind of a fantastic story. But it kind of leads to an important point, is if you're in church leadership and you know there's a foster carer or an adoptive family in your church, ask them the question, how can we best support you? It's a question they may not have actually been asked and it's a question they're longing and they know best what you can do to support them. And there's a whole range of things that we would just not think about um, but are actually make a huge difference. So um, someone was telling me how uh, when they um, adopted, they adopted a, a, two, a two-year-old. And at kind of that stage of life, um, and with all the, the disturbances that happened before, like attachment was going to be a real issue. And they needed to bond with her new adopted mum and dad and that was going to be a challenge in the church environment because what do we love doing in church as an expression of welcome for a new baby? We, we pass them round, don't we? We cuddle them. Everyone wants to hold them, and and that's going to be a lovely display of welcoming a newborn baby into a church. I mean, really positive. But they knew that for this adoptive child, that that would be really damaging because they needed to connect to their new mum and dad. But but they were dreading going to church and having to tell everyone, "You can't touch my baby." So the minister did it the week before While well, they weren't in the service they just explained this is what it's going to be like and this is why this is important so they didn't have to have all those awkward conversations when they welcomed the child into the church and just kind of a simple thing like that which probably well 99% of church ministers probably would not even be aware that that was going to be an issue that was dealt with kind of really well um, I'm just going to tell one more story before we go into kind of a Q&A because um, I just think it kind of pulls together a few few threads from this morning, uh, this, this afternoon. Um, so uh, another story we heard of um, foster care, carers who foster teenagers uh, with some uh, pretty kind of extreme needs. And one day they had a uh, 15-year-old foster child turn up on their doorstep um, and she was covered in piercings and she had huge self-esteem issues. And... They were like well we normally invite our foster children to come to church with us if they want to like we never pressurize them but we want to give them that option but you know what if we take this girl to church with us on a sunday morning it's going to be a disaster because everyone's going to look at her because she looks so different and it's going to destroy her self-esteem so they spent kind of a day or so thinking about what to do and in the end they phoned up their, their small group and said would you all bunk church on sunday and, and would you come around our house and we'll take a dog the dog for a walk and if um, our foster child wants to join us, she can. And they did, and she did. And I think it goes that the, uh, the whole small group skipped church for the next six weeks. And every Sunday morning, they, they went for a walk with her, so they got to know her. And after six weeks, the foster child was like, I like the sound of this church you keep talking about. I want to come. And she did. But of course, as soon as she walked through the door, she didn't notice a hundred people staring at her. All she noticed was the small group swarming around her, welcoming. And we love that story for so many different ways that sometimes social workers are really nervous that we're in this as the church to change the children. And, and yes, we want to see their lives transformed, don't get me wrong. But actually, that's just a lovely example how, how this changes our churches in a really, really positive way. And this is one of the many reasons why we're just so excited that the church has this opportunity now to address this issue and transform the lives for thousands of children, which will ultimately transform our churches and also our communities. So let's uh, stop and uh, let's just have a yeah. Any any questions? Um, like particularly ask questions now if you think that other people might really kind of benefit uh, from the answers as well. As I said earlier, Kirsty and I will hang around afterwards. So if you want to talk to us uh, later about anything, uh, feel free to and um, yeah. And I'm sure the people who have shared their experiences, they wouldn't mind if you kind of talk to them about some of their experience as well, but yes. Yeah, so it's a real mixed bag across the country of what support that exists. Um, The great news was uh, uh, a couple of years ago, the government kind of extended the amount of time children could stay in care. Um, But that actually hasn't been hugely successful. Because if you ask anyone at the age of 18 if they want to leave home, they probably will say yes. Like at 18, I would have said, if I was given the opportunity for independent living, I think I would have said yes. And then a year later, I would have really regretted that because suddenly you realise in your 20s how much you needed your parents. So although there is the chance now for uh, foster uh, young people to stay with their family into their 20s, a lot don't take up the opportunity. Um, But I think that's where, again, a foster uh, young person in the church community so there's, some, there's potential there, isn't there, for the mentor-type relationship. So yes, the foster carers get a little bit rejected because the, the uh, teenager wants independence, but actually are there other people within the church that can offer them the mentoring and the support which the foster carer kind of can't... But we, like, we're we're a new charity, and there's so many ideas we'd like to kind of press into, Um, and that's definitely one of them. Like the whole idea of kind of supported lodgings as well, um, for kind of just that bridging the gap between foster care and independent living living is so kind of important. Uh, Right at the back, and then
8: So, so, so stories.
1: Yeah, so um, there's a really good video I could show you, but we might be running out of time with a story about it. Um, so um, one, of, one of the things we hear time and time again is actually how, how positive it can be to adopt or foster as a family. So, so it's not a, a couple just deciding to adopt. It's actually a couple and their birth children doing it as an entire family unit. And just what that does uh, the birth children can be really really positive um, so a lot of people are, are quite concerned about the impact of having a looked after child come into the family how will that impact their birth children and, and there are challenges there, there, there are risks um, there certain, certainly are but actually most people we speak about just are just overwhelmed at the sense of compassion and justice and Welcoming and hospitality—it kind of embeds into their birth children, um, and it's just such a really healthy thing uh, to do as a family. Uh, Does anyone else have any more kind of experience on this to share? Some examples.
3: um, Great. And they were before, I think. So it's definitely been fine for us. They—they don't they, they caused big tensions between them or divide them or anything like that. And they actually—I think—it actually helped them in, in, their, in their
4: own sort of development as of people, really. So and one of the things we're really passionate about is normalising fostering and adoption as part of normal family life. Um, so I've a friend of mine. Well, she's become a friend. Um, But she adopted a, she's a white American, adopted um, a little black baby, um, African-American baby, um, straight out of hospital. It was fostering initially, then she adopted. um, And she was a single woman in her early 20s and she adopted um, her daughter. Um, She then married an English um, guy Um, They had two birth children who are white and ginger-haired as anything, and um, they have just, literally two months ago, um, had another little girl adopted into their family, and she's African-American as well. So it's this wonderful mixed family, but it's just normal. Um, It's just this normal mix, and there's no question about what it looks like. because it's just what their family is. Um, So, yeah. Any other questions? Yes. What's
8: your advice to people who are thinking about fostering or
4: adopting? I don't know that I have advice, but uh, Suze, who's the woman I just spoke of, would say, what are you waiting for? (laughs) If God's calling you to foster or adopt, what are you waiting for? Are we waiting, again, for this perfect family set up where we've got everything that we thought we needed to be a parent Um, uh, and that's again where the church family support network is so crucial Um, as a single person you know you're going to need the odd night off and need that network of approved and checked babysitters um, and people to step in and give you an extra pair of hands when you need that and the church is a brilliant place for that um, anything to add to that okay. yeah. some of this comes from that sort of modelling up front and teaching up front um, so we ran a theology conference a year and a half ago um, and a lady called Jane Williams um, who's a lecturer at St Melitus College um, spoke on sort of the vision of family in the Bible um, and it's, it's not this nuclear family that I think particularly as Christians, we often see up presented, um, and we we need to break all of that down, and and it does include blended families um, and um, children being looked after by grandparents, um, and that's going to be messy, and we're gonna get it wrong, um, but being prepared to be full of grace and um, work with each other as we work out what that looks like for different people Um, So it's a re-envisioning of what family looks like um, I think is really important.
1: I think this kind of point, uh, it follows on from what Kirsty said and it came off a bit earlier, in that we need to get better at churches, or many churches need to get better at just kind of embracing mess. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, one of the reasons that fostering and adoption and looked after children stand out so much within the church context is as churches, we've kind of been preconditioned to sh- put on our Sunday best and behave really nicely as families, haven't we? And therefore we often hide our own family challenges within the church context. But if actually everyone was just more honest about what parenting children is like, whether they're adopted, fostered, birthed, um, grandparents who are having to step in to look after grandchildren while their sons and daughters are struggling, that it would just be more normal and what an amazing place the church should be to be safe about all those challenges that are going on. So when a, complete, a family that kind of society labels as dysfunctional comes into our church, no one really notices because they just fit right in. And I just think there's something really nice there about that kind of picture of, kind of finding restoration and healing, healing together. Um, we uh, need to uh, wrap up. Um, but there's um, just a couple of things uh, to say. Um, Uh, With Care for the Family, Home has produced a booklet uh, called Supporting Those Who uh, Adopt or Foster. And it's really a guide for churches. So um, if you want one of them, we haven't got them here uh, today, uh, but if you fill in one of these, uh, we will post you one. Um, So there's one of these on your chair. So if you fill in one of these, uh, we will make sure we send you um, one of them. And... um, we talked a lot about how we want the church to, to make a difference and the church to be known as solving uh, this problem. So uh, one of the things we're asking churches to do is to sign up as Home for Good Churches uh, uh, and to do that, it's, we want churches to say we're standing with you in this vision. We want to be a part of this. We want to be known as a church that wants to find homes for children and we want to be a church that is welcoming and supportive of families that foster and adopt and, and one of the reasons that's really important for us is when we're going to speak to local authorities and when we're going to speak to the government, we want to show them the map and say, look, you know what, there's a map here with 500 churches in the UK who have signed up and say, we want to help solve this problem. Um, so if you think you could kind of work with your kind of church to, um, to become a home for the church, um, pick up one of these leaflets um, as you go out and, and or kind of talk to Kirsty and I as well. But thank you ever so much. It's been really good to spend uh, this afternoon with you.
0: Yeah, that's just give Kirstie Just a really useful, very practical, theological everything, sort of into an hour and a quarter. Well done. Very impressive. Um, so, yeah, I just want to uh, congratulate you. Thank you so much for what you're doing. Thank you that you are making yourself available to us as churches to be able to be part of this journey and to do it well and do it excellently. So, uh, so thank you so much for today. There are some leaflets and things at the back on your way out, and obviously uh, Phil and Kirsty have said that they are happy to, uh, to take questions and things if you have any yourself. So let's just give them another round of applause.